Welcome to the Purpose Inspired Podcast. I'm your host, Wayne Visser, and this season is based on my book, Thriving, the Breakthrough Movement to Regenerate Nature, Society, and the Economy. Let's get to it. living systems. Smuts's theory of holism suggests that every organism, every plant or animal, is a whole, with a certain internal organization and measure of self-direction and an individual-specific character of its own. This is true of the lowest microorganism no less than the most highly developed and complex human personality or society. Smuts also saw holism as the driving force behind evolution, which creatively enables the development of ever more complex and significant wholes. Holism, a term that Jan Smuts coined and derived from the Greek holos, proposes that wholes are, and I quote, the real units of nature, a unity of parts which is so close and intense as to become more than the sum of its parts. As an aside, Smuts was involved in drafting the original charter of the League of Nations, which later became the United Nations. He also crossed political swords a number of times with Mahatma Gandhi, when Gandhi was a young lawyer in South Africa, advocating for the rights of Indians. Before leaving South Africa in 1914, Gandhi sent Smuts a pair of sandals as a gift which Smuts returned on Gandhi's 70th birthday, remarking that, and I quote, I have worn these sandals for many a summer, even though I may feel that I am not worthy to stand in the shoes of so great a man. It was my fate to be the antagonist of a man for whom even then I had the highest respect, end quote. Smuts was not the first system scientist, that title probably belongs to the genius Leonardo da Vinci, whose studies of nature and society showed a remarkable appreciation for their dynamic processes, whether it was the swirling vortices of water and air currents that he drew, or his metabolic designs for cities as living organisms, where people, goods, food, water and waste need to flow unimpeded. As modern-day system scientist Fritjof Capra noted, reflecting on the theme of his book, The Science of Leonardo, his science was radically different from the mechanistic science that would emerge 200 years later. It was a science of organic forms, of qualities, of processes of transformation. Capra, an Austrian-born American physicist, has done more than most to help articulate, synthesize, and popularize system science, recounting its fascinating history and teasing out its fundamental principles in his book, The System's View of Life, A Unifying Vision, co-authored with Italian chemist Pier Luigi Luisi. Besides paying tribute to Leonardo da Vinci, Capra traces the roots of systems thinking to various pioneers, movements and concepts, such as organismic biology, cybernetics, tectology, general systems theory, synergetics, 
complexity theory, chaos theory, fractal geometry, autopoiesis, and social systems theory. Capra defines systems thinking as thinking in terms of connectedness, relationships, patterns, and context. This is consistent with the root meaning of the word system from the Greek to place together. In the episodes that follow, I weave in many of the ideas behind these rich bodies of work. Together they add layers of understanding to what living systems are and how they function. Systems may be living or non-living, but I focus on the living systems that make up nature, society and the economy. This provides a solid scientific foundation for thriving. To make this clear, I have distilled these fundamentals into characteristics against which to test our thinking and practices. The six keys to thriving are complexity, circularity, creativity, coherence, convergence, and continuity. The key of complexity. We live in a world of mind-boggling complexity. And speaking of the mind, let's start there, since it gives us a good idea of just how complex living organisms and systems are. According to the latest estimate, we are born with around 86 billion neurons in our brain, and this stays roughly the same throughout our lives. Neurons are tiny nerve cells that transmit information using electrical and chemical signals in the brain. The pathways or conduits of those electrochemical signals are called synapses. By comparison, a fruit fly has 100,000 neurons, a cat has 250 million, a chimpanzee 7 billion, and an elephant 257 billion. Synapses in the brain are a great example of complexity, which in scientific terms means relationships or connections between parts in a system. At birth, each neuron has about 2,500 synapses, and by age 3, when toddler's learning is accelerating, there are about 15,000 synapses per neuron. The youngsters are literally making new connections and detecting meaningful patterns about the world around them, which is reflected in the brain's activity. Over time, this settles back to about a thousand synapses per neuron, meaning that there are trillions of synapse connections in the average human brain, and each synapse can be firing anything between one and two hundred times per second. If that's all a bit mind-blowing, that's exactly the point. Leaving aside our brains, which some of us have been known to do from time to time, there are countless other biological and social systems in the world, each with unimaginable numbers of connections. So if life sometimes feels overwhelmingly complex, that's because it really is. Now factor in non-living technological systems, which have been growing exponentially ever since Charles Babbage invented his 1822 difference engine, named for its capacity to perform mathematical computations and hence widely regarded as the first computer. The complexity has only compounded. The key of complexity is powerfully demonstrated by what went on at Bletchley Park, 
the World War II British intelligence site, which is famous for cracking Germany's Enigma code under the leadership of the mathematical genius Alan Turing. What made the cryptic code so hard to decipher was their complexity. The number of possible combinations was 15 billion trillion. That's 15 with 18 zeros. What's more, the code was changed every 24 hours. That is a lot like life. Every day we face new possibilities, fresh surprises, novel connections and unexpected events. Our lives may seem routine, but order on the surface hides a complex cipher of continuous dynamic interactions. Our lives are a puzzling, fascinating enigma code. Everywhere we look, if we pay enough attention, we will see complexity, often manifesting in unexpected ways. There's a Netflix series called Connected, presented by science journalist Latif Nasser, that beautifully illustrates this point. One whole episode is dedicated to dust, for example, which reveals surprising connections between fossilized fish, sand in the Sahara Desert, Atlantic hurricanes, oxygen-generating phytoplankton, and soil fertility in the Amazon rainforest. Another episode explores hidden mathematical codes that recur in nature and society, connecting everything from volcanoes and astronomy to political elections and social media. Not only does this put the joy of discovery back into science, it also introduces a mainstream audience to the science of complex living systems, without ever calling it that. This still leaves us with the question of how we can navigate through complexity. In today's world, it is not only the problems that are complex, but also the solutions. And the tide of often contradictory information adds to our bewilderment. There are two mantras that I use, like oars, to help me steer through complexity. First, the how is as important as the what. For example, we should always ask, is the proposed solution fair and inclusive? And second, the context is as important as the action. Hence, we should always reflect on who or what benefits or suffers as a result. One person who has long been at the forefront of studying complex systems and applying that knowledge to business is MIT faculty member Peter Senge. I invited him to speak on systems thinking at an event linked to my chair in sustainable transformation at Antwerp Management School. His three takeaways on making systems thinking work in practice are first, make it visible. Most of us don't know where our food, clothing, gadgets or energy comes from. Second, make it human. Put names and faces to the next generations that will benefit or be harmed by our actions today. And third, make it collaborative. No system is ever changed without long-term, multi-stakeholder partnerships. Sage advice. From the perspective of thriving, the important point is to remember that, no matter how bewildering it may seem to us, complexity is a good thing. Complexity increases the functionality of a living system and strengthens the likelihood that thriving will occur and that the system will survive and flourish.
Well, that's it for this time. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that you'll join me again next time when the story of thriving continues. Just a reminder that if you don't yet have your copy of Thriving, you can get it at any retailer as an ebook, an audiobook, or a hardback. You may also be interested in the Thriving podcast, where I speak with uh, various thinkers and practitioners of thriving and regeneration. You can find that by searching on your favorite podcast platform for Thriving the Breakthrough Movement. And finally, you might be interested in becoming a thriving facilitator. If that sounds interesting to you, then do reach out and I can send you more information or you can find it on my website, wayneviser.com. That's it for now and we'll see you again next time. Hope you have a wonderful week. Mm -hmm.